We're going to work out of John 12, 3 this morning. So if you have not closed your Bible, uh, keep it open. And if you have, uh, open it back up if you would. And if you're visiting and using one of the Bibles in the pew, page 1007, if you want to follow along, and that Bible is yours to keep. If you don't have one, take it home with you if you need it. Even if you're not visiting and you need a Bible, take it home if you need it. Mark it up. Uh, as we look at John 12, 3, let's start with, with um, before we get into the text, uh, let's think of a simple question that gets asked uh, regularly in uh, probably all of our lives at one point in time, not, not regularly all the time, but I'm sure we've asked it. You walk into a room and somebody looks at you and they say, does it smell in here? There's an assumption behind the question, right? Because I don't think I've generally heard that question asked and they're asking, does it smell good in here, there's an assumption there, right? They didn't say it. Does it smell not pleasant in this space? Does it smell bad in here? Because smell, as we know, can be powerful. And it can turn us off or on to the place we're in, and it can be very memorable. And one of the other things we should recognize is fragrance tends toward being public, not private. Right? You really can't. You can try and mask it and hide it and and neutralize it, but if it's there, you notice it. It's not a private affair. So keep that in mind as we move forward, and we're talking about the fragrance of this perfume. Because it has something to do with generosity, I think, and we can make something of it. And we're speaking of generosity. We've been speaking about generosity since last week. We're going to do it this week. We'll do it next week. We're recognizing in these three weeks that God has been generous with us. The very life we live and all the things that we have in our possession, those all belong to God ultimately. God has been generous to us. It's part of God's character to be generous. God didn't add it on. God is generous by nature. We're created in the image of God. And if we claim to follow Jesus Christ, that character of generosity should be in the process of being remade in us so that we bear the image of our maker in all ways, including generosity. It's God's character, is it yours, is really the question that we're asking in these three weeks. Now, we defined two terms last week that are kind of two sides of the same coin, stewardship and generosity. I want to do that again this week in very simple, quick terms, because they're they're sometimes used the same way, but they're not the same thing. Stewardship is the responsible use of what God has given us. Generosity is to do something with that that extends beyond yourself, basically, is to bless others with those things that we are asked to steward in this life. That doesn't mean to liquidate everything, but it does mean that the responsible use of what God has given implies that there's something that we do with it that doesn't just benefit ourselves. There's something that needs to be generous. So we said last week, and we'll say it again, that stewardship without generosity does not honor God, and generosity without stewardship squanders what God has given. These things go hand in hand. It's very important that they go together. As we turn back to the text, with this in mind, particularly thinking of generosity, uh, chapter 11, where we started in chapter 12, have some moments of generosity that have occurred. In chapter 11 of John, uh, Lazarus has died, and Jesus raises him from the dead. Side note, but important, you'll sometimes hear people call that a resurrection. It was not. It was a resuscitation. You can ask me to clarify later, but they're not the same thing. He was raised from the dead. Then in John 12, 2, we can go to that verse. That's in our text section this morning. It said, they're in Bethany now. As you can see from the plot to kill Jesus that we heard, Jesus kind of had to relocate 
where, where he's doing his ministry at this point. They're in Bethany. It says, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So they're thankful. They're giving an honor, a dinner in honor of Jesus. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That's a generous thing. Now they're being generous in return to Jesus. And then it, the generosity goes up even one level in verse 3. It says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And it's from that act that I think we can make four observations this morning about generosity. From this whole section, but certainly from the acts of Mary, even right here. And let's start with the first one. Generosity is about intent more than results. Both things matter. But the heart of the matter, the why, matters first. What's going on inside that I would be generous is where it begins. And that has is related very closely to the result. But we have to start with the heart first. So the intent of giving is that something would be a blessing. Here we're already at the result. It's an act of goodwill towards somebody else, but not for my benefit, for theirs. Now, if I go out or if you go out to lunch today uh, or dinner, and you're squaring up at the end of the meal uh, with whoever you're buying the food ahead, whatever, you're, you're handing over your cash or your card, and somebody's handing back food or receipt, that's not an act of generosity that's transpired between two people. That's a transaction. You got something each for the interaction that occurred, for the transaction. Generosity, you're giving for the goodwill of somebody else or something else, not with the expectation of return. There might be byproducts, there might be good things. You might benefit from it, but that's not why you give. You give it for the goodwill of another. So you can see that the result and the intent are very closely related, but the, but the heart of the matter is very important to get right first. I would suggest as well that when it comes to the intent, generosity is an act of worship. And I would simply define worship uh, as when we come before God on the basis of who God is, what God has done, and what God will do. So all of our actions and interactions based on that, we are worshiping God in all that we do, in all that we say, not just in a corporate setting, and we're responding to God and God's past, present, and future actions. That's what we're doing when we worship. And so thus somebody can in all their actions, respond to things other than God and worship things other than God. But our goal is to worship God in all ways. Generosity is an act of worship because we're looking at what God has done and who, what God's character. And we're also, and we'll get to this in a moment, looking at what God will do. So there's an intent in that way. But as I said, the results are closely related. We'll look at that now and we'll look at it in, a, in just a moment as well. But the results do matter and you can see that in the text, Jesus points out there's, a, there's an importance, uh, an urgency to the matter. There's a, a need, and there's a purpose to the generosity. So that's, not, that's part of the intent, and it's also part of the result. In John 12, 8, Jesus, after responding to Judas's criticism of Mary, he says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have 
me. So what she's done can't be done later. It has to be done now. You're not always going to have me around, Jesus says. So it's important that what happened happened now. Generosity is the same way, actually. There is a need that's there, and there's perhaps even an urgency sometimes to those needs. So, yeah, the intent matters. We're not doing it for our own good, doing it for the goodwill of another, but we're doing it on purpose so that something actually occurs, so that that goodwill is enacted in real time or in a timely manner. And I'll point out, we heard Deuteronomy 15 on purpose this morning because I wanted you to hear that passage in context. Jesus kind of alludes to, you will always have the poor among you. Again, another aside, but important, sometimes people, when it comes to generosity, have, have made um, the conclusion based on Jesus' text that we can help alleviate world poverty and help the poor, but only so much, because Jesus says you're always going to have them. But that text that he's kind of alluding to in Deuteronomy says, nah, if you obey, you're going to kind of not have poor people among you. He says if you're obedient, now that's the Old Testament context, you can do with it what you will, but Jesus isn't saying neglect the poor, because you won't always have me. He's saying, yeah, you've got to do that too. But there's an urgency to the gift that was given right now. And, and that's going to relate to what we talk about uh, in a little bit. The challenge I have for you this morning is to consider your own giving. That's why you have the blank piece of paper. You'll be challenged with that in a moment. Uh, but sometimes, just to use a churchy example, uh, sometimes the, that purpose and that urgency uh, doesn't get taken into account when people are a part of a church. And so they, they, I've actually heard this from people. They'll say, well, other people are contributing to the church, so I don't need to. Well, there's, there, that's a hard issue at that point, actually. And then you have to ask the really important follow-up question, how many other people have that same thought? We all have a part to play. There's an urgency to these things and to our generosity and a heart issue. They both matter. So it's about intent. And the results do matter, but the heart of the matter is where we start. The second thing, and I think we can see this in Mary's story here very clearly, is that generosity requires some level of vulnerability. And this is a point that I think a lot of us don't like, myself included. It requires something, some sacrifice, essentially, out of us. She uses this perfume. It's clearly stated in the text, this stuff is expensive. She clearly pours on a lot of perfume, a pint. Nobody would use that amount, even in the most special ceremonial circumstances, maybe at a burial. Maybe. But generally, you wouldn't have used it for anything but that. This is probably, we don't know the, all the details for Mary, but typically people had something like this for ceremonial purposes. You'd use a tiny amount, and very sparingly and very rarely. You could use it for burial purposes. Um, you would often pass it on from generation to generation. Perhaps that's what happened. We don't know. And it kind of functioned for many people, especially women, like a 401k plan. Like this is retirement. This is if something catastrophic, this is disability insurance, if something catastrophic happens. Like you have this as your insurance policy to sell it if you need it. And she pours a pint of this stuff on Jesus. She's giving something and sacrificing in this moment. Second thing we can recognize is that she lets her hair down quite literally, which was not typically something women did, uh, Jewish women did in public settings like this. They usually kept it braided and tight up, but to let it down means that you're incredibly comfortable with the people you're, you're with and you are actually becoming vulnerable at that point to some scrutiny, I would say. There's 
uh, this is not a sexual thing. I want to make sure we're clear on that because three of the four Gospels actually reference this same thing. And, and when she anoints, you kind of get the picture of anointing all of Jesus or his head or his feet. And it just tells us about the feet. That doesn't mean she didn't anoint the rest of Jesus. We just get the part about the feet in this and that she took what she had and wiped his feet with it. It leads me to an interesting question as I reflected on this this week. Um, are you able to get so intimate with God as Mary did? She literally let her hair down. That's an important part of generosity. Are you, are you able to get real with God and bear your heart before the Lord? Mary does this quite literally with Jesus. The other thing about vulnerability that we should recognize is John 12, 5. Judas says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, we get insight into Judas's intent uh, on this, but generosity, even if we try and do it in secret, sometimes we may endure the criticism of others in our generosity. They would have used it or given it or done something with it a different way. Now, I won't let Judas off the hook much, but I'll say this. Do you think he's the only one that was thinking this at the time? We don't know, but where two or three are gathered, maybe that thought is there. Even if we try and be secretive about it, your generosity could be criticized. We're making ourselves vulnerable when we give. The third thing I want to point out about generosity is that generosity can testify to God's goodness. In fact, it should testify to God's goodness. Mary uses this perfume. It's nard. Some, of your, some translations have spike nard, which is simply a descriptive of the plant that it comes from, a spiky plant from northern India. So this thing was not cheap because it had to make it a long way, whether processed or unprocessed, in order to get to the part of the world where Mary and Jesus are. Um, it was made typically from the spiky leaf uh, of the plant. The cheaper forms used a little bit of the root uh, to kind of round things out and make them a little heavier. Uh, this is clearly not the cheaper form, we're told. This is expensive stuff that she's using. This is pure spikenard. And as we said about fragrance from the beginning, no one would have been immune from the smell of this generous act. Everybody's experiencing this and the fullness of what Mary is doing. There's a testimony that's there. Now, some of us, when we talk about generosity and giving, uh, we point very much to what Jesus says in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about when you give, don't be like the Pharisees who make a big deal out of it. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is obviously using an extreme to make a simple point. Don't make a big show out of your giving, right? That gets beyond the heart, right? Then your heart isn't really about the generosity, but about my glory. Jesus says, don't make it about that. Obviously, he's making an extreme point because when I give or when you give, your left hand knows what your right hand does, right? Jesus is making an extreme way of saying it. And it's important that we don't make a show of it, but sometimes our generosity is going to be known. That's why sometimes it could open you up to vulnerability. But whatever it is, it should be a testimony about our heart condition that no, the glory doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. And generosity should be a blessing to God and God's kingdom. 
So no matter, uh, in, even if we can keep it completely and totally secret, great, good, wonderful, it should at some point publicly testify to God's kingdom in some way, shape, or form. Somebody may not be able to trace it back to us whatsoever. Wonderful. But it has to point to God's glory no matter where it goes and testify to God's goodness. As a, a transitional note from, to, from this to our fourth point, I want to read a quote from Gary Burge, New Testament scholar, commenting on this. Um, he says, when it comes to Jesus, even his garments were covered with a strong, sweet scent of nard. It is likely that Jesus kept this scent on his body through the following week. When he was suffering the anguish of crucifixion, Mary's gift remained. It was the last truly beautiful fragrance he smelled as he went to the cross. Because we hear that this is six days before Passover. We know that when Passover starts, that marks the beginning of that final week of Jesus, or it's the, through the final week of Jesus. It's nearly the end as far as coming to the cross. Of course, it's not the end of the story. It gets better. But, of course, their bathing patterns were different than ours. He would have had this smell likely on his, on his clothes. It was truly a generous gift. And I think it leads us to the fourth point that we can see. Generosity plants the seeds for God's next work. Mary could not have realized, but Jesus seems to be pointing to this in the text. She's essentially pre-burying him in this preparation. It's as if she's preparing his body. And it, Mary, we don't see that she's aware of this reality. But I think if we think about what God's next work is, she unknowingly testifies to that and gives glory to that. We can read back and see, aha, what a remarkable thing Mary did. But we could ask ourselves, could we be involved in the same thing, knowingly or unknowingly? How can... I give what I steward and release it for God's next work. I mean, that's a great question to think about when we think about generosity and what it means to be generous and what God could do with the things he's asked us to steward. How will God unlock that as we give in order that his kingdom would come and his will be done? And that comes right back to the idea that it's an act of worship to give. Worship, where we come before God on the basis of who God is, God's character, what God has done, and what God intends to do, or what God will do, believing that God's future is, in fact, better than the past that God has given us. What seeds might we be involved in planting in God's future work? And so I'm going to transition us, I'm going to ask us to reflect on our own giving, and I want to point out from the beginning, I don't know what anybody in this room gives. I know what we give in our family, and I know that we give with intent, and we prioritize certain things based on the belief that being generous in those areas will plant seeds for God's next work. We want glory to come to God. We want our heart to be in the right place, you know, so that our giving the first covenant is prioritized. Our giving to some sponsored children is prioritized because we want to see God's work happen in those areas, certain institutions and missionaries. We want to see God's kingdom advance. That's why we give, not to get glory. We want God's work to be done on earth as it is in heaven and plant the seeds for God's next work. And so I'm going to ask this question and I'm going to engage you in, in a task that, again, only you'll see, only you'll know, 
I won't ever see it. Leadership won't see it. Our finance people won't see it. Nobody else will see it but you, between you and God this morning. But let's go to the question of how is giving an act of worship and devotion to God in your life? So there's a key question we can reflect on. It comes from Gordon MacDonald's uh, devotional on generosity, which I recommend to you. And I want to take worship time right now to engage in what this act of worship looks like. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you in a moment to take out that white piece of paper in the envelope. And I'm going to ask you to identify as a first step. What do you want your 2020 giving to look like? How do you want to prioritize that? And when I say that, I'm not specifying how, where, or any of the anything. And if you're visiting today, you can still participate in this. Again, I'm never going to see this. You're the only one that's going to see this. You can still participate in how you want to prioritize your giving wherever it goes. And we talk about time, talent, and treasure. I'm absolutely talking about all three of those things. But sometimes we use that as code when we say time, talent, and treasure to diminish the treasure part, if we're not careful. I'm talking about all three. How do you want to prioritize your giving of the, what you have to steward? Because you have all of those, time, talent, and treasure. We don't want to neglect any one category. And think through the mission priorities you have. How are you going to be a part of planting seeds for God's next work and expanding God's kingdom in 2020? I think if this is your home church, that should be part of the priority. I think if you have other areas where you believe that God is at work and you believe you've been called to, identify those. And then you're going to be called to commit as you write on the piece of paper, fold it up, put it in the envelope, and you contribute it. We'll mail it to you. We're not going to use that information for any other purposes except to put a stamp on it and mail it back to you. We're not writing anything down from this. But I want to note that Mary committed what was valuable to the Lord. She didn't pledge and not give. She gave. And if we believe it, we do it. That's what we're saying this morning. So I'm going to ask the band to come up because they're going to play through this next part. Um, as they come up, what I'm asking you to do is take your envelope and your piece of paper. We'll have the return address of the church up on the screen in just a moment, and I'll have a prompt up there if you want to write it down. And I'm going to ask you to actually write down what is your priority for 2020. If we still have kids in the room and you want to participate in a different way, I have these kid cards, and when the music is playing, I can come and hand it to you if you put up your hand. If you don't have a piece of paper, I'll hand it to you as well while the band is playing. But what I'm going to suggest is that you put, your, put the date on the paper. You might want to put your name on the paper. And then here's a suggested script if you want it on the top. It says, Psalm 24.1 proclaims God's ownership over everything. I possess. In 2020, I will not simply be a good steward of God's goodness, but I will give generously in these ways. And you could write down anything from I'm going to commit to this percentage to these places of what I bring in to uh, I would like to serve in this way that I either already am or never have served. Maybe you could write down this is the year that I want to move from volunteer to leader or from learner to teacher. I'm not prescribing what you write down. I'm simply asking you to think through your giving for 2020 and make that commitment between you and the Lord. I would ask as well that you write your address on the front if you're participating and write the return address of the church, which is right there on the bottom, on the top. All we're going to do is stamp it and mail it out in a few months. You're the only one that sees it. But I pray that we're blessed 
as we participate in this task. As the final song plays, I'm going to encourage you to, I'll bring this table out in the middle. You can walk it up forward if you want. If you want to wait until the end of the service, you can bring it up then. If you want to send a delegate because you can't make it or it's too hard to get out of your row, pass it on to somebody, have them bring it up. Make this an act of worship this morning as we commit to what we will contribute to the kingdom in 2020.